Welcome back. We're speaking with James Corbett, publisher of thecorbettreport.com. He's speaking to us from Japan, where he has worked and lived since 2004. Welcome back to This Week in Money. Well, thank you for having me back. It's a pleasure to be here. James, what's the latest with the Corbett Report? Well, uh, as we record this, I am about to drop a podcast that is going to use the GameStop saga that played out earlier this year as a way of exploring the bigger history of the markets and the manipulations on the markets and how, in the end, generally speaking, the vultures at the top of the financial pyramid tend to win out and the little guy at the bottom tends to get fleeced. And that seems to be the uh, the same pattern that plays out time and time again throughout history. So I'm, go- I'm going to go through some of that history, tie it into what's happening today, and try to draw some conclusions about what this means for uh, the average mom-and-pop retail investor and their chances of surviving the economic turmoil that's undoubtedly coming. Are we in a silent secret war that could lead to a mass extinction event? You know, that's a very interesting question, and I'm not sure exactly how that was intended, but I know that the idea that we are in an extinction event is one that has been floated quite a bit in recent years, specifically surrounding this idea that we are currently, uh, we're in an uh, anthropogenic extinction event in which humans are causing a mass die-off of species around the world because of their environmental manipulations, etc. And I'm not sure if that was the context in which that extinction event was intended, but I think, in a sense, it is true. It's just not true in the way that we are generally asked to think about it. And I think about it in very different terms. I think that ultimately, yes, the human species is in the event of, at the very least, a transformative event that some people would, I'm sure, frame as an evolution. But at any rate really does portend the end of the human species as we've known it. And I know that does sound rather outlandish to people who have never actually researched what is being said on these matters, but I would point them to even people like Klaus Schwab, executive director of the World Economic Forum, who is talking about how the Great Reset, which we know that button has been pushed because of this deadly scourge of COVID-19, well, the Great Reset that the World Economic Forum and others are on the record attempting to put humanity through right now is going to lead to the Fourth Industrial Revolution, which Klaus Schwab himself constantly stresses will lead to the convergence of our biological, physical, and digital identities, and which will, as Klaus Schwab said in a 2016 interview on French television that people can look up if they are interested, Klaus Schwab himself said, within the next decade, we will be implanted with brain chips. I know this sounds outlandish still to people who do not want to understand what is coming, but it is coming. They are going to start... um, increasing the rate at which technological quote-unquote upgrades are given to humanity. So I think there is a type of extinction event going on. The extinction of Homo sapiens towards Homo transhumanist or whatever it is that is attempting to be engineered into uh, into our uh, genome at this point. Um, I, again, it sounds crazy until you start looking at it. And another thing that I will direct your listeners to specifically, since I know that you are based in my home and native land of Canada, is a document from the government of Canada, specifically Policy Horizons Canada, which is probably something we want to be keeping our eyes on, called Exploring Biodigital Convergence, in which they ask the question, what happens when biology and digital technology merge? And keeping in mind, this is a Government of Canada document. 
I would just read the opening of it for you. In the coming years, biodigital technologies could be woven into our lives in the way that digital technologies are now. Biological and digital systems are converging and could change the way we work, live, and even evolve as a species. More than a technological change, this biodigital convergence may transform the way we understand ourselves and cause us to redefine what we consider human or natural. Once again, this is the government of Canada putting out this document, and oh, who is the Director General of Policy Horizons Canada who penned those words? Crystal Vanderelst, who I think you will find is associated with the World Economic Forum. Wow, what a surprise, what a small world. So yes, in a sense, we are in an extinction event that is happening right now, it's just not the one that they are telling you about in the mainstream media. Well, and I could see prejudices, biases. Uh, hey, my implanted chip is uh, faster and has more storage than yours. Nana, nana, nana. Yes, and and in fact, I will go one further. I will point you to a 2006 BBC article. I do not have the actual link off the top of my head or the name of the article, but I did link it in my most recent podcast episode, episode 400 on Visions of the Future, a 2006 BBC mainstream news article that at that time was talking about the divergence of humanity into two separate species. Essentially, this giant warrior class, genetically upgraded uh, species that will rule over this as they say in the article, quote, squat, goblin-like creatures that will be sort of the underclass of this new society, the people who don't get the upgrades. And they even illustrate this, again, I cannot stress this enough, mainstream BBC article with a picture of this giant, towering, Greek god-like physique human being uh, towering over this squat, goblin-like creature. It has to be seen with your own eyes to be believed, but this is literally what they are talking about, the, di the divergence of the human species into essentially Eloy and Morlock based on the genetic upgrades and technological uh, upgrades that will be available in the future. They're already talking about it. They've been talking about it for a decade and a half, but if I say it, it sounds like conspiracy theory, but if the BBC says it, I'm sure most people will go, well, of course, that's the way it has to happen. Now, this is exactly what Hitler was trying to do, breed a master race and exterminate everybody else. You have just hit on what I think is really the guiding ideology of the past century plus of the would-be ruling class of humanity, which is eugenics. And of course, people most... Uh, are, are most likely to associate that with Hitler and Nazis at this point. But what is often forgotten or left out in that equation is that the fact that the uh, Kaiser Wilhelm Institutes um, at which Ernst Rudin and the other Nazi eugenicists were working, were funded by the Rockefellers. This is not conspiracy theory. This is open. You can look at the documentation of this. This is well-known documented history that the Rockefeller Foundation was a, an important part of funding the transfer of the eugenics ideology to Nazi Germany. And where was it transferring from? From the United States. At the Davenport Institute, Cold Springs Harbor, these types of uh, eugenics researchers who at that time were creating, for example, their eugenic sterilization laws, which became the basis for the German Nazi eugenic sterilization laws, uh, admittedly so. And where did that come from? It came from Francis Galton and the original eugenicists working in late 19th century England. There is a continuity of agenda and of thought here that truly, uh, it cannot be stressed enough, there are people who genuinely think they are genetically superior to the mass of humanity, those poor feeble-minded individuals who are cluttering up the earth, and we need to get rid 
of a lot of that teeming mass of humanity. And that is the guiding ideology of so many people in these positions of power. And we poo-poo and scoff that to our own detriment. And and in the face of what we are being told is a coming extinction event for old, uh, technologically unupgraded uh, homo sapiens. If there was a mass extinction event, what would the likely effect be on economies, real estate, and the stock markets? Well, I think we have to uh, overcome our normalcy bias in thinking that there will be any sort of status quo back to normal whatsoever when this Great Reset uh, button, well, it has been pushed, when the Great Reset starts to take place, that there will be some sort of return to normalcy and we can think about uh, markets and investing in the way that we used to. That obviously is not going to be allowed to happen. The first indication of that came very early on in the COVID scamdemic uh, hype uh, during the very early months when suddenly cash, it was very important for media outlet after media outlet to tell you how dirty and horrible cash was. And maybe this virus, it, we have no evidence for this whatsoever, but it could be transmitting on your cash. So you better stop using cash, 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 cash became demonized instantly. Um, right out of the gates, as soon as they hit the panic button. And uh, we saw that play out in different countries in different ways. For example, in the United States, they had the coin shortages last year, once again, putting it in people's minds that cash and coins are the old way and digital currencies are the way of the future. And lo and behold, wouldn't you know it, every single central bank around the world right now, or at least almost all of them, are in the stages of either developing researching or actually implementing central bank digital currencies, which will be the way that we transact in the future if the central banks get their way. This should be absolutely horrifying to people who look beyond the sort of ups and down gyrations of the markets to understand that the baseline monetary reality that we live in is dictated by central banks. There was the infamous 2016 study, uh, I believe it was Brian Barnier, um, who pointed out that 93% of the record historic bull run of the U.S. markets from 2008 to 2016, 93% of that bull run was directly attributable to the Federal Reserve and central bank actions of pumping liquidity into the markets. Uh, we are in a phony, phony baloney, a fundamentally rigged economy right now that is being kept afloat by central bank interjections. And now they are trying to directly take control over the monetary system so that you will eventually have a bank account or a, an account of some sort, an electronic account that will be tied directly to, in your case, the Bank of Canada, or in the US case, the Federal Reserve, or here in Japan, the Bank of Japan. But your account will be tied directly to the central bank, which will be able to monitor every transaction that you are doing and taking place in real time and, oh, by the way, we'll be able to directly intervene in those transactions and stop the ones that they do not like. That will be tied to a vaccine passport, which at first, of course, will only be about entering the hockey arena to go see the hockey game, but eventually will be tied to your very economic existence. So the idea that we're going to return to some sort of normalcy in, in stocks and markets is, I think, a pipe dream. We are going to be more and more thoroughly controlled at the monetary base level, let alone 
alone in terms of what we are allowed to invest in. And even then, as we are seeing with the supply chain disruptions that are taking place around the world right now that are severely affecting people's ability to purchase basic items, computers and cars on the front lines of that, but food not very far behind. And we, I think we have very little appreciation at this point for just how profound the coming decade is going to be in terms of transforming the markets as we've known them. Sure. And uh, that giant container ship that got stuck in the Suez Canal, we heard it caused uh, a shortage of garden gnomes in Britain, but apparently also a shortage of sex toys for Europe. Who who can... Who can who can calculate these these extremely far flung events? But uh, at at any rate, as we record this, of course, uh, the U.S. is going through its gas shortage crisis caused by the pipeline hack attack, the ransomware attack, which is now uh, causing a state of emergency to to be declared in three separate states. Um, things are getting serious, and I think we're only going to see an increase in the frequency of those types of events going forward from here. To achieve Agenda 2030 in the Great Reset, could the plan be to inflate markets and pull the rug out, ushering in socialism, communism, and fascism? Or would they have to actually pull the rug out? Would it just collapse all on its own? Yeah, that's actually, yeah, that's a good way of framing it because uh, at a certain point, once you've set up the, the, the deck of cards into a, a tower that's already tottering, you don't really even need to push it over. Any draft will push it over. So I think there um, there doesn't have to be necessarily uh, an agency, uh, a, a human agency behind the pushing over of a system that is already teetering. As long as you've created a system that is structurally, systemically weak enough that it will be pushed over at any strong draft, then it doesn't matter where that strong draft emanates from. Perhaps it would be something that would be deliberately designed or some sort of deliberate event, but it doesn't need to be. In the same way that this pandemic scenario that we're seeing playing out across the world right now doesn't necessarily need to have been engineered by any particular person or some uh, biological escape from a lab. It could be, but it doesn't have to be because the infrastructure for what we've seen roll out with the implementation of the bio security state was already in place for decades before this point. This is why I was able to create a podcast in 2008 warning about medical martial law and pointing out the legislative steps that have been taken towards mass vaccination and uh, quarantines and other such things, these emergency powers that had been put on the books, saying, you know, all they need is an excuse to pull the trigger on this. In the same way, uh, once the once the central bank engineered phony bubble of unreality pops, it doesn't necessarily matter if that bubble was popped by a pinprick or just by random gusts of wind. At any rate, it will pop. And I think we are reaching that point of utter unsustainability of the system. Unfortunately, I think in most people's minds, that means, oh, well, you see, they can't even control the system that they've created. No, I think the system is being created and being set up precisely to fail, precisely because that failure will bring with it the justification, or at least the perceived justification in the minds of the brainwashed masses, that we need the government to step in and take total control of the economy right down to the monetary level where, again, they, everything will be tied to your digital existence, which will be allowed or disallowed based on whatever presumed would-be health authorities say, oh, this citizen is allowed to participate in the economy or this one is not. That type of power would not be just ceded to the government without a crisis event. They need a crisis event to push this Great Reset through. So I think the system has been engineered to collapse at some 
some point, and they are very much ready to take over when it does. Prime Minister Trudeau says the Great Reset would set up a situation where you own nothing and will be happy about it. Could the powers that be be getting ready to crash the real estate and stock markets by jacking up interest rates? Uh, that's certainly one of the one of the cards up the sleeve, and it could be played at any time. Once again, I don't have any specific information to say that I know that that is going to happen or if and when it will happen. But at any rate, it is certainly something that could happen. And as I say, I think there are a number of different triggers. In fact, I think some of them have already been pulled. And as I say, the supply chain disruptions that are happening right now, I believe, are only the thin edge of a very large wedge that absolutely will start to affect people's pocketbooks in the very near future if they haven't already. And uh, I think the real battle, so to speak, is going to take place at the most fundamental level, the absolute base level of human existence, food. I think that is going to be where people start feeling the effects of the economic disruption that's taking place first and foremost. And then right after that, shelter, i.e. real estate, will absolutely be affected by this as well. Could we end up seeing a positive Great Reset that has nothing to do with the World Economic Forum? I I, I think we could, in fact, actually envision such a thing. Um, But the question uh, the question is, are there enough people to actively work towards that? And that really is the question for all the marbles. I talk about this extinction event, essentially, that we're living through as the would-be great resetters try to push us through to the transhuman future. I think there are other visions of how we could proceed from this point, which clearly is a crisis, a civilizational, if not species-level crisis that is taking place because the system has been so manipulated and so uh, structurally engineered to fail. We are clearly going through a crisis, is there a way to imagine a better way of doing things, a way beyond what uh, we are being told by the World Economic Forum crowd and their cronies? And there certainly is, and in fact, there are activists that are currently working on that. For example, there's uh, the Greater Reset, which was a, a, a forum that was held earlier this year, which I participated in with a number of different activists from around the world participating and giving different ideas of visions of how we could actually affect a coming together uh, as humans rather than as, uh, you know, uh, cattle, essentially, on this global plantation to actually change structurally the way we are living our lives and what, what we could imagine with the economy. I think it could be done, but is there the political will? Is there the impetus? Is there the, the consciousness even that this is happening, that we are at this crisis point and that we need to push it through? Unfortunately, I think most people just need to take a look outside their window and see the various people, if not actively supporting all of the biosecurity implementations uh, that are going on right now, at the very least passively supporting them and allowing them to continue until people start putting their foot down and start telling their supposed would-be representatives that they will not stand for this anymore. I don't see any fundamental changes taking place at the people's level. What do you see ahead? Inflation, deflation, or stagflation? That's an excellent question. I will not presume to prog- pro- uh, prognosticate upon because uh, I, I vividly remember back in the 2008 crisis when I was just starting my website. I had just started my podcast a year uh, prior to that. So I remember living through that crisis and being quite convinced that that clearly must be the end of the line for the U.S. dollar. It's a world reserve. Clearly, we're living through the, the collapse that has been talked about for very long. And I remember... 
uh, interviewing people like Bob Chapman of the International Forecaster, who assured me at the time, no, they have a lot of tricks up their sleeve. I think you'll be surprised. They can kick this can down the road a lot farther than they have, and it will require, yes, uh, in injections of liquidity, the likes of which we've never seen before, but they'll be able to do it. And that taught me a valuable lesson, namely that Bob Chapman was right. They were able to kick the can down the road much, much further. In fact, we are still living with that can having been kicked down the road. So I would not venture to assume that we are at some sort of inflection point at this moment that cannot be further extended. Um, <laughs> to be honest, I cannot believe that people are falling for the stock market is booming again, and it looks like we're going into some sort of amazing recovery. The, the markets are rebounding, the economy is rejuvenating, which is the, the most bizarre and moronic trick that uh, I cannot believe that the public has been made infantilized so much to the point that they're falling for it, but essentially they're saying we have put this incredible lockdown of the global economy, essentially, on on uh, the, uh, the productive economy over the past year, and now that we're releasing some of those shackles, wow, look at everything just springing back to life. It's such an incredible boom. Look at the year-on-year -year percentage growth in these various uh, indicators, which, of course, means nothing. It means that perhaps, if we're lucky, we might return to something slightly like the level that we were at before the shutdown started last year. It's ridiculous. Um, and I think that's the level at which this is taking place. And now, um, given that the markets are, are more dependent than ever on government injection and stimulation. I do not see a way out of this. Um, I, I just do not know whether that goes through a period of stagflation before inflation kicks in or what order that happens in. But I, I, I can ironclad guarantee that the, the verities, the normal uh, verities that we take for granted in our current pocket of unreality are going to be burst very soon. It's only a question of when and if the uh, the Piper um, ultimately can't uh, continue to play his tune the way that he's been playing it for decades, and we have to hit that great, re great reset button and, and transition over. Your thoughts on the Dow for the summer and the second half of the year? <laughs> Once again, I think I'll relate it to my previous answer in that I I cannot believe that uh, that anyone is really falling for it. But having said that, as I say, I'm working on a podcast specifically about market manipulation. So I know just how little uh, the, the markets have to do with underlying economic fundamentals at this point. The fact that the Dow Jones is rising, I think in a previous era used to at least signal to the general public that, hey, the economy is doing well, things are sound, look at all these companies, they're all booming, so you should be happy and content and spend, spend, spend. Uh, if anything, anyone with two brain cells to rub together, I think at this moment in time, seeing the Dow Jones taking off or stocks uh, hitting record high after record high, would have to be, I mean, you'd have to be an absolute blithering idiot to believe this is because of fundamental economic uh, economic fundamentals that are coming together to justify this type of soaring stock activity. Um, it is undoubtedly uh, a central bank-fueled uh, party that is going to come to an end. And I cannot say whether that will happen this year. It very well could be that the stock markets continue to go up this year. But I'm telling you, this ride will not last forever. And Again, I just don't know when that music stops and the game of musical chairs begins. We're hearing gold could hit $2,000, $3,000, $10,000, $50,000 an ounce. Any thoughts on that? 
Well, to be fair, I've been doing this work for 15 years, and I've been hearing that every single year, that don't worry, it's just around the corner, guys. Just keep buying the gold. Um, I have yet to see it. Um, But uh, my take is essentially the same as it has always been. If you are still thinking of the gold value in terms of dollar value, then ultimately the we haven't reached that inflection point. At, there comes a point at which people realize that the dollars really are toilet paper that are being printed out of nothing and that they uh, measuring gold value versus dollar value is exactly the wrong way around. It's the same thing that I think when I look at the crypto markets and people are so obsessed with, oh, Bitcoin hit 50,000, Bitcoin hit 60, oh, Bitcoin's down another 5,000 today. Again, if you are thinking of the value of cryptocurrency measured in dollars, then ultimately you're still trapped in the old thinking of the dollar being the king of the paradigm. And until that flips, I don't think anything fundamental is going to break in the system. By the point at which we start seeing $10,000, $20,000 an ounce gold is the point at which I would presume people who know what's what know that, in fact, oh, this means that the gold is a better, is is actual store of value, whereas the dollars are just printed out of nothing and meaningless. So I don't care necessarily how many paper dollars I can get for them, other than how I can convert those paper dollars into food or whatever I need to feed my family. Governments have been known to confiscate gold in the past. Could this be super bullish for silver? Ah, interesting. Yes. Um, yeah, that's an, uh, that is a, an interesting way of looking at it. Yes. Um, because, of course, as we know, gold is an easier target uh, for governments to, to uh, attempt to ban anyway, like 1933. And that could certainly happen again. Silver would be almost impossible to do a similar type of confiscation. So, yes, I suppose silver in that sense, would be a better store of value. But again, if we're talking about Mad Max scenarios where, you know, you, that, that piece of silver may be the difference between you eating and starving, I think we might have more structural things to worry about than whether or not this or that precious metal is, uh, is particularly the way to go. Um, and that will probably devolve into civil war at some point. And unfortunately, I think that's also part of the plan. Are we likely to see any currencies backed by gold or silver? It's very much a possibility that at the very least there will be a fig leaf of backing at some level. And that, I think, is indicated by the fact that um, the obviously the Russian government has been stockpiling gold for a very long time. And the Chinese, after years and years and years of insisting, oh no, our, our, uh, our, our reserve level of gold is exactly this amount, this many ounces and no more. And then suddenly there's an adjustment and then suddenly another adjustment and then another adjustment. And now finally, it seems like China is at least reporting on something related to the amount of gold that they have undoubtedly been buying over the past decade or two of their economic boom. And I think that's preparatory for some sort of event where perhaps the new Chinese um, central bank digital currency will be quote-unquote backed by gold. But I don't think it will be a simple pegging. I don't think it will be anything as straightforward as at least what they attempted to say they were implementing after Bretton Woods with the U.S. dollar. It never really, really was implemented the way they said it was going to be. But at least the idea was $1.35, one ounce of gold. Um, I don't think it will ever be straightforward as a peg like that, precisely because the Chinese government, the Russian government, every other government on earth wants the ability to print up as much money as they need at any given time to satisfy whatever budget they want to create out of thin air. Um, So I don't think it will be a simple backing like that, but there will be some fig leaf of, don't worry guys, we have this amount of gold in our reserves, so you can trust the new 
digital one or whatever they're going to come out with. And I think there will be some aspect to that. And when that does happen, we will see, um, as, as they say, when the tide goes out, you see who's actually wearing their swimming trunks. And we'll see how many people actually have the gold that they claim to have in their reserves that we know is being lent out many times over uh, at supposed depository institutions like the, the Federal Reserve Bank of New York and other places where this gold is supposedly being held. We've seen the rehypothecation movement over the last several years precisely because it is a question. Who actually owns all that physical gold sitting in those vaults? And is it are there several claims on it? And I think we will, uh, it's very likely in that event anyway, we will start to see um, who what ownership actually applies to these physical pieces of gold. If hyperinflation happens in the major currencies at the same time, would it matter? Yes. Uh, yeah. Okay. Good question. Because of course, uh, if all currencies are are hyperinflating at the same time, then relative to each other, it, the status quo could be maintained. I suppose that is possible, but it seems to me extremely unlikely that all currencies will hyperinflate to the exact same amount at the exact same time at the exact same rate. Um, that seems unlikely. There will undoubtedly be some winners and losers. And it may be winners and losers comparative to others. Maybe this country has an inflationary event that's only a few thousand percent, whereas this one has 30,000 percent, whereas this one has 100,000 percent, whatever. I mean, whatever, throw in whatever numbers you want. But I think relatively speaking, it seems extremely unlikely that every country on Earth is going to have a hyperinflationary event that leaves everyone at the exact same relative levels as they are today. Are cryptos reflecting real inflation instead of gold and silver? No, I don't think so. I think what is happening in the crypto markets right now is not um, straightforward. Again, it's I don't think it's reflective of underlying economic fundamentals. I don't think that uh, I, there's uh, the the markets the crypto markets are so relatively small compared to the the other markets uh, that I think that what we're seeing is reflective of. Moves like, for example, PayPal or others saying that they're getting into crypto and, you know, there's a many asterisks uh, on top of that. It's not really crypto when you're when you don't have the keys to uh, the 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 address, the wallet that you're using, et cetera, et cetera. But at any rate, uh, it's it's major moves like that that I think are driving a lot of this crypto speculation, which I think is what it is at this point. I don't think it's reflective of what's happening monetarily um, other than the fact that there is crypto at all is reflective of the 2008 crisis. Um, the original Bitcoin white paper came out in 2009 and specifically and uh, on the record as a response to the global financial collapse that was happening at that time. So I think uh, just general interest in anything like crypto was driven for a very long time by the recognition that there is a central banking crisis that is happening right now in the monetary paradigm. Um, but as to specific moves up and down in crypto prices being reflective of that, I I don't think so. The long-term trend, yes, I think is away from paper dollars, but um, to what extent is that behind this or that particular move on the bit crypto price chart? I would say not very much. Your thoughts on where electric vehicles are headed? Electric vehicles are, I think, going to be increasingly pushed legislatively and otherwise. And uh, we've already seen moves towards that of trying to um, mandate and legislate away um, traditional combustion engines and their emissions, their dreaded emissions in favor of electric vehicles, which when you do the math actually turns out, if not to be 
about equal in terms of emissions. In fact, sometimes even more so, depending, of course, where that electricity is coming from. But it, just because the emissions aren't coming out of the vehicle directly does not mean that they're they're not there. But I think, again, that's a bit of a, um, a shell game that's being that's taking place. But yes, I think uh, the market for electric vehicles is going to grow if legislatively, if nothing else. And so uh, obviously with that comes the whole infrastructure for electric vehicles that has to be put in place. And we're going to see the growth of that as we have seen over previous years, but that will increase. And that will come part and parcel, I think, with the increasingly automated um, vehicles and um, the Teslas and others that are openly, obviously, working on and even implementing various levels of automation of, of vehicles to the point where we will, I'm sure, within the next decade, we will see the first fleet of driverless, electric, green, happy whatever, Uber, taxi type of um, situation that develops as a result of this, and that it will be sold to the public through what you referenced earlier. You will own nothing and you will be happy. And we've already seen that, the TED Talks and others by World Economic Forum alumni talking about how in the future, why would you even own a car when they can just be set up to rove around and you, you use your app to call one over to you when you need it? And I think that's the vision for driving of the future, which will be such a, a fundamental restructuring of our society, even the physical geography of our society, which has been laid out with the need for daily commutes through, um, through the road system and having a garage in your house and all of these types of things that have become so embedded in our culture that we couldn't imagine them in any other way will change over the course of the next decade. Your thoughts on guaranteed incomes for doing nothing? <laughs> yes, universal basic income, or as I like to call it, universal basic enslavement. And I was talking about this a few years ago, uh, pointing out that when and if this comes, it will absolutely come with strings attached. Although, of course, the whole point is supposedly, no, 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 universal basic income, everyone gets it, regardless of whether you want it or not, whether regardless of whether you have this or that income already, blah, 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 everyone gets an equal share, and that's why this is not some sort of gameable system. But... Uh, dot 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 and I did a uh, uh, I wrote an article I, perhaps I mentioned this in a podcast as well at the time a few years ago um, talking about some of the debates and discussions that were taking place and even at that time they were saying well of course you know we'll have to have some sort of basic sort of citizenship type test not just are you a citizen of Canada or whatever but also are you a good productive citizen who deserves the universal, quote-unquote, basic income. And uh, one of the things that they were talking about in this particular forum debate that I was uh, playing on, on my podcast um, at that time was, well, of course, we'll have to make sure, for example, that everyone's vaccinated and up-to-date with their vaccines in order to receive the UBI. And so we know where this is going, and we're already seeing the beginnings of this. This is what the vaccine passports and other things are about. It will become the central digital identity, as Klaus Schwab talks about, merging our biological, physical, and digital identities into one unit. It will become the basis from which we direct everything in our lives, and that will include not just our payments as the central bank digital currencies take over, but also our 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 health uh, status are uh, are you a good citizen did you post some horrible thing about the you know the the capital insurrection on parlor or whatever it is and again people might have seen the headlines recently the IMF is proposing internet searches become part of your credit history and other such incredible Orwellian things that a few years ago would have seemed unimaginable are already happening and I think when and if universal basic income gets 
instituted. It will become a sort of um, baseline from which the government will be able to dictate every aspect of your existence. And it will start just the camel's nose in the tent at first, but pretty soon that entire camel is in the tent. Is there a push on around the world to control the Internet? In Canada, they had Bill C-10, an attempt to censor the Internet. Yes, absolutely. And I, 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 again, Canadians will not need to be told what this looks like or how it will be legislatively implemented. But absolutely, this is happening and not just in Canada. Uh, the infrastructure and legislative um, preparatory work for this has been laid out over the past several years. And what we've seen playing out, for example, about the WikiLeaks hysteria and other such things, were just preparatory events to prepare the public for this type of legislation that we need, of course, to control what is happening online. And the entire fake news narrative of the last four years that, oh, it's all Russian bought misinformation that's tearing our society apart um, has been part of the panicking of the public into accepting that the government will have to come in and regulate the internet one way or another. And lo and behold, isn't it strange that we end up arriving at the very spot where the CCP blazed the trail with their great firewall of China, and now country after country is playing around with the idea that, well, perhaps we need some kind of great firewall. Isn't it funny how that works? What good things and bad things could be enabled by 5G, 6G, and 7G? (laughs) Well, as the news likes to frame it, you know, by the time 6G rolls around, you'll be able to um, download entire movies or entire catalogs of artists that you like instantaneously onto your smartphone or tablet, and it'll all be paradise, I suppose, digitally speaking. So there is obvious, I think... um, for a, on a consumer level, there will be obvious benefits of convenience for this type of technology. The real question is the underlying fundamentals of what this technology is enabling, which is a nightmare dystopia, the likes of which could not have been imagined by the most imaginative science fiction writers of yesteryear, specifically looking at the Internet of Things that is already happening as increasingly our dishwashers and fridges and toasters and everything else that you can imagine are being wired up to communicate with each other via the internet. But uh, pretty soon it will be literally everything you you have, everything you wear, everything that you, uh, you possess will be wired up to the internet one way or another, communicating with each other all the time, sharing data with each other all the time, enabled by these 5G, 6G, eventually 7G networks, um, and and the type of incredible uh, ability to transmit data that that will bring about. And it will mean that everything will be communicating with everything all the time. And again, you do not need to be a conspiracy theorist to understand where this is going. The director of the CIA back in 2000, I believe it was 2012, but people can look it up for themselves. Wired.com even wrote about this. The director of the CIA was going around giving speeches at the time talking about how this, the Internet of Things will allow the CIA and other intelligence agencies to spy on you through your dishwasher, was the actual quote that they went with. And you know what? That's actually, that's that's quite true. I'm sure that is. And they frame it as a good thing because now, you know, t- spies and terrorists will have nowhere to hide. But, of course, that means you will have nowhere to hide either. And absolutely everything you do, everywhere you go, and everything you say will be used against you when and if and as necessary because it will all be not only monitored but actively transmitted in real time through the internet, actively tracking your location and what you're doing at any given moment. Anyone who does not understand the incredible, profound shift that we are going through to a completely tracked and surveilled society as we speak and is not concerned about it is forfeiting their humanity.
They keep hearing the power grid could go down for an extended period of time. Is this a real worry? It is for, if no other reason, than the potential of solar flares or other EMP-type events um, to knock down the power grid. This is a known vulnerability, and it could absolutely take place any day, regardless, uh, again, of human intention or not. Um, It is at least a vulnerability. It is a threat. And how prepared are we for that? Well, of course, we saw glimpses of that earlier this year in Texas, where people had power outages for extended periods of times, and things started to devolve quite quickly, and people realized that they were not prepared for that type of scenario, and um, Canadians might comfortably scoff at such things that are taking place very far away, but they would... uh, perhaps maybe they should look in their own backyard and see how prepared they are for such profound disruptions that, again, could take place any day for completely celestial reasons, if nothing else. A solar flare could cause a widespread power outage, perhaps for lengthy periods of times, and perhaps when we start talking about EMP weapons and other things, or, or cyber attacks that are designed to take down power grids, could happen for weeks, months, years at a time when we start looking at profound um, EMP attacks. So this is something that people at least need to have in their risk calculus and on their radar and really ask themselves, how prepared are you for such an event, such a scenario? Because uh, although there has been a uh, concerted effort to make anyone who actually prepares for events seem like a crazy wingnut prepper, perhaps Perhaps if you look down, for example, at what happened in Texas this year, uh, you might see why it might be a good idea to prepare in the ways that we can for events like that. What's the latest on the COVID-19 pandemic? Well, whatever the uh, presumed health authorities are telling us it is, of course. And the latest um, that I've seen, of course, is now that Fauci down there in the United States is saying not only, of course, will you have to continue to be masked and uh, socially distant after being vaccinated, quote-unquote, because as people probably know by now, these are experimental gene therapies that are not approved. They are emergency use authorized, um, I would say illegally, by country after country around the world. But at any rate, it is not approved, but it is an experimental technology. Everyone who takes it is the lab rat in an ongoing clinical trial that is not going to end until 2023. Look it up if you think I'm lying. These clinical trials are still ongoing. But not only will you have to continue to wear a mask and be socially distant until, of course, as we've been told previously, until we reach that magical herd immunity, which now, because the literal definition of herd immunity is being changed in the dictionary now, now apparently includes the fact that people must be vaccinated in order to reach herd immunity, although that has never been a part of the definition before. But now, not only that, now, of course, Fauci is saying, well, now we're just going to have to get used to seasonal mask wearing all the time for the rest of our lives, because, look, we we masked up, we were socially distanced, and look at that, for some reason... The flu just pretty much disappeared from the face of the earth. There's only been a handful of cases that have been reported this year. So I guess it couldn't possibly be any of the jiggery-pokery going on with how these types of um, illnesses and diseases are being categorized or what they're being attributed to. No, it's because you were masked up and socially distanced, which for some reason apparently has no effect whatsoever on COVID-19, even after you are quote-unquote vaccinated, but suddenly eliminates the, the influenza from the face of the planet. So we're going to have to get used to this for the rest of our lives. And this is what we are now being steeped in. And again, that's just preparatory to towards the, the health pass, which is, the I think, the ultimate end goal of this entire 
narrative, um, but they can only steep us in it a little bit at a time, which is exactly why when it first was first sprung on the Western populations, it was two weeks to flatten the curve. And if you can't put up with this for two weeks, you're a stupid, lazy, selfish, horrible human being and a grandma killer who deserves to be shunned from the face of the planet. Um, a year plus later, now it's, well, and it'll be for the rest of your lives. But you already knew that, didn't you? You you knew it somewhere deep down, that this will not end until we end it, not until the politicians tell us that it is over. Is there a mass vaccination campaign in China? Uh, yes, yes, and I do not know the details or contours of that, but I know that uh, the Chinese vaccine, um, I want to say developed by Sinopac, but... I probably have that wrong. Sinovac? At any rate, um, the, the Chinese vaccine has now been officially, um, uh, not again, not approved, but uh, put on the list of uh, uh, allowable vaccines by the World Health Organization, surprise, surprise, who, in addition to being well-funded uh, by the uh, Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, has been working hand-in-hand with the CCP throughout this entire debacle. So that should come as no surprise to anyone, I think. Um, but yes, the Chinese vaccine uh, is being pumped, uh, obviously, around the world and sold to countries around the world. But first and foremost, of course, back home, where all of this started. And anyone who thinks that the, the Chinese government wouldn't use this type of technology on their own population, obviously hasn't been paying attention to anything the Chinese government has been doing for many decades now, which is using the Chinese population as the experimental guinea pigs in the ongoing social experiment of what how far a population can be pushed into the technocratic control grid. And that's precisely why country after country right now is mirroring various CCP ideas and policies, um, as even as they claim claim to be fighting against the CCP, um, I think, no, it's really just the model for the future. Why would anyone take an injection pushed by a known eugenicist whose goal is to depopulate the world? It's uh, flabbergasting to think that anyone could take it seriously when someone, as you say, whose stated goal on the record is to reduce the human population is now very concerned about saving every single person on the planet with these life-giving vaccines. And of course, I think the obvious reference here is Bill Gates, although that is not all. And in fact, I did an interview earlier this year with researcher Whitney Webb about the AstraZeneca um, vaccine and the very many links um, bet- between AstraZeneca and the Oxford partnership that it has, and uh, again, admitted on the record, eugenicists. Um, I, again, I cannot stress enough how much, how important, how fundamental the eugenics ideology is to what is going on today. But yes, you would have to be uh, as childish as the mainstream media believes you to be to swallow this whole. And one window into that for people who still cannot get it through their head that be- lovely, beneficent, benevolent, beneficent Bill Gates is there to save us all with his wonderful philanthropy that somehow has doubled his net worth in the decade of vaccines that he declared starting in 2010. His net worth is, at, in fact, at this point, I think more than doubled uh, since that point. So how is it that he's giving away his billions but getting richer and richer as he does so? That's that's something to puzzle over. But also now in the wake of this divorce, it is interesting to see the reports coming out now that, oh yeah, well, as 
as, of course, all the news media knew and decided, specifically chose to cover up at the time, Bill Gates was known as an inveterate womanizer holding his naked pool parties and other such things, um, even after the point at which he began dating Melinda. Um, and these types of things are now being revealed, but no one wanted to say it for risk of losing access to Bill Gates. And now that's coming out. And of course, this is the same story we see time after time after time after time, whether it's Jimmy Savile in the UK and everyone knew that this guy was no good, but no one could say it because he was obviously ensconced in the establishment of the time and with not only with the BBC, but with literally the royal family treating him as as part of the, the part of the family. Um, and as we saw, for example, with Epstein and uh, people coming out afterwards and saying, yeah, this guy was crazy. It was weird. It was always sketchy. But, you know, he he was sloshing money around. So no one wanted to say anything. And now finally, people are starting to say, well, you know, maybe Bill Gates wasn't this shining angel that we all thought he was. And why is he so insistent on intellectual property for these vaccines? Isn't he trying to save the world? Why is he so interested in making sure that all these vaccine companies get um, every penny that they possibly can out of this emergency? At least people are starting to question it. But until they question the depopulation agenda, they will not understand what is happening right now. Are vaccine side effects likely to increase accidents and hurt the economy? Uh, yes, I mean, that's one, I suppose that's one of the ways that this will play out. Um, and again, it depends on what we're counting as uh, side effects and what we are talking about as direct effects, known effects of these again, quote-unquote, vaccines that don't function as vaccines as we've known them have ever functioned. Um, but will there be economic effects? Certainly, but perhaps more importantly, we're just starting to learn some of the direct health effects that are taking place. For example, the many, many, many reports of women who are now having reproductive issues um, surrounding their, their menstrual cycle um, having very strange effects after taking these vaccines. In fact, some who haven't even taken the vaccine but are around people who have taken the vaccine, we, we still only dimly dimly understand what this is and this is a mass experiment that's taking place on scale globally to millions ultimately billions of people around the world at the same time it is the most insane experiment with the human race that has ever been perpetuated so will it increase accidents and hurt the economy yes i have no doubt that that's already taken place to some extent and likely will in the future but perhaps more importantly the the sheer human trauma of what is being inflicted on the world population right now still i think people don't have a good grasp on is making people sick a profitable business model? Keeping people sick is probably the most profitable business model, and I don't think it takes a great degree of understanding to figure that out. If Big Pharma can not cure what is ailing you, but make sure that it can mitigate the symptoms of what is ailing you, then that is, of course, the best way to control someone. And one way for people to wrap their head around that is through, again, the Hollywood predictive programming conditioning that we've all been subjected to all our lives. We all remember those spy tales of the spy who's abducted and then injected with some sort of poison and the bad guy has the antidote. So I won't give you the antidote unless you go and do something for me. And so we can all at least understand that as an idea that if people are in a state of sickness and precarious health, and don't worry, we've got what will not cure you, but just keep you better, keep you going, then you will continue to obviously pay us. And uh, that, I think, brings it back to the, the profit motive, which is certainly part of what's going on right now. But again, I think unless you get to the depopulation motive and the fact that long term, there will 
B, mass culling events, unless we stop these people from implementing their, their institutional power, um, I, I don't, again, I don't think there's any hope for the human species, and that brings us back to the extinction event that we're living through. Are the vaccinated dangerous to be around? I look. I, I am. I'm not going to make any definitive scientific or medical statement on that because I don't have the resources or ability to put some sort of proper study of that through. Anecdotally, anecdotally, we can say that there are people who are reporting effects from just simply being around the vaccinated at this point. But as as with everything else surrounding this crisis, there will always be multiple ways to read such anecdotes, even if even if we take them at face value. Um, for example, they are now saying that a lot of the adverse reactions that people are having um, uh, upon receiving the vaccines are not related to the vaccines, but their anxiety over the vaccines. So in fact, it is people who are saying, who are spreading these horrible malicious rumors about the quote-unquote vaccines are the ones putting people in a fear state that ultimately makes them manifest a reaction after receiving the vaccine, which seems like the most insane, ludicrous leap of logic that I, I've ever seen, but it is being taken seriously by people whose identity surrounds them being good order followers who will take and inject into their body whatever the government tells them to inject into their body. So do I know definitively whether vaccinated people are dangerous to be around? I do not know that definitively, and I certainly don't know it from my own experience here in Japan, where very, very, very small percentage of the population has even had been eligible to receive these vaccines yet. Um, but I, I don't want to wait around to find out. I don't think that's something that uh, people should. There may, in fact, be a segregation of society going on right now between people who will line up to be lab rats in an ongoing medical experiment and those who don't. And that might take the form of physical separation if and when the anecdotes about being around the vaccinated being dangerous come, uh, is borne out by actual data. Are pitting the vaccinated versus unvaccinated and people wearing face masks against unmasked people just some additional ways to control and divide people? Uh, yes, well, it certainly is having that effect. It is controlling people, and it, uh, I'm sorry, it is dividing people, and dividing divided people are obviously easier to control, so that is an effect. Although I would say that a lot of the issues on which people are divided are if not completely irrelevant, at least certainly not the heart of the issue. Um, and we can look at um, sex and, and uh, race and all of the other ways, uh, economic class, for example, the ways that people are divided and then pitted against each other, generally for the benefit of the ruling class, who obviously wants people at each other's throats rather than ever questioning the fundamentals of the system that they're living in. But I would say that this divide between people who are questioning what's happening with the vaccinations and the masks and the biosecurity state and people who are not questioning that, that does seem to be a fundamental divide. That's a divide in terms of people who are going to be good order followers in a totalitarian state and people who will not be good order followers in a totalitarian state. And that seems to me to be at the crux of the issue. So in a sense, this is a division about something very real, but it really does seem to me a bifurcation of humanity as we start to get to the point where, as people probably have noticed in their personal lives over the past few years, it's getting harder and harder to be friends, casual friends, with someone uh, with whom you have fundamental political disagreement. It's suddenly becoming the 
dividing line in, in so many people's lives. And I think this is going to be the most blatant and obvious manifestation of that. And for, for a reason, because I think this really does, um, it, it speaks to who will and who will not go into this new biosecurity fascist nightmare willingly. Over a billion people have willfully taken an experimental vaccine. What could possibly go wrong? <laughs> yeah, that softball. Um, <laughs> what could possibly go wrong? Let's let's use our imagination. Um, I think the question speaks for itself. This is an experiment. It is ongoing. Clinical trials are ongoing until at least 2023. Uh, we do not know the long-term effects of this. Anyone who tells you otherwise is lying to your face and expects you to be gullible or stupid enough to believe that. So that's a good sign right there. If someone is trying to tell you that they know the long-term effects of this, that they are liars and should not be believed. Um, at any rate, unfortunately, yes, it looks like hundreds of millions, if not billions of people will be part of this giant ongoing experiment. And the ramifications of that we will not know potentially for years, if not decades, how long did it take before the thalidomide babies started happening or, or other such examples of this type of manipulation of the human population? But in this case, on so much grander a scale than anything that's gone on before, it is mind-boggling that so much of the public is on board with this right now. James, how can people find out more about the Corbett Report? They should type CorbettReport.com into their browser, C-O-R-B-E-T-T Report.com. You will find now a decade and a half of material there, audio, video, and textual, 100% for free. It is a resource. I link everything that I'm talking about when I make a claim about a document or direct you to an interview or a video. I will link it up in the show notes. That is an important part of what I do because I do not want people to take what I'm saying at face value. I want them to look at it for themselves and come to their own decisions. Um, that's why it's there. It's 100% for free. So if you have never looked at it before, please do so. Um, if only to debunk what I'm saying, please do so. Um, I just want people to engage with the real, very real things that I'm talking about that I think truly are the threats to humanity. James, thanks for being on This Week in Money. Thank you for having me.